Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. You know what today is? Today is February 29th. I asked in the last 24 hours, literally a dozen people the same question. Without looking it up, explain to me why we have February 29th every four years. Why do we have Leap Day? It would seem an odd thing. What would happen if we didn't have it? So we have tracked down someone who knows a thing or two about a thing or two. Alexander Boxer is not only a uh, one of the world's most sought-after authorities when it comes to Leap Day, he's a data scientist and an author. He's got a Ph.D. in physics from MIT and a master's in the history of science from Oxford. So you get the sense that maybe he has a little bit of an, an idea of what he's talking about. He wrote a book called A Scheme of Heaven, The History of Astrology and the Search for Our Destiny in Data. And it's really interesting. It's a curious skeptic's look at astrology and its role as history's original data science. You know, you think of those two areas, data science and astrology, you don't necessarily think of anybody who is an expert in both. You think of data scientists as kind of these guys with glasses, look a little bit like Milton in the office. Maybe they got the pocket protector going for them and nothing against pocket protectors. I usually wear a pocket protector, not wearing one now, but I often do. And then you think of an astrologer as a guy that looks like the the healer in, in that episode of Seinfeld, a guy who wears a long flowing robe and who doesn't use hot water and who's whole who's whole, holistic. Doesn't go to doctors. And yet he's an expert in both. Very pleased uh, to welcome to the program a gentleman who combines the perspective of a modern data scientist with a historian's sympathetic eye for telling the tale, Alexander Boxer. Alex, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh... Tell me a little bit about your history, Alex. Uh, tell folks about what it is that you do. As I alluded to, most folks don't think of data science and astrology in the same vein. How did you come to be an expert in both? Well, uh, I think I've always just been interested in everything, especially when it comes to science and history. I think the two go together really well, even though oftentimes... It's not the same group of people who like both, but I've always loved that. Grew up in Arizona looking at the stars, always wanted to know more about them. And uh, at some point pursued a, a career in the sciences and physics, and data science, but have always felt that understanding the history of something, especially when it comes to science, helps you understand some difficult concepts. And as I, as I became a, a data scientist, a working data scientist, I became very interested in the question of what is it that we do? We're always trying to crunch numbers, make forecasts, predict this, predict that. And, you know, where, where does this kind of come from? And I came to the somewhat surprising idea that 
the people who used to do this in the past, that, that not only were we not doing something new, but people used to have been doing this for thousands of years and the people doing it were astrologers. And all of the ways that maybe you can uh, be seduced by numbers, be seduced by patterns, see patterns in data. Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not there. This is something that astrology has, uh, and its history has a lot to show us. And I, I really like your, your comments about how, hey, these people don't, don't really look alike, uh, you know, the astrologer and the, and the data scientist. And, I, and, and my comment would be that at least in, that, that, that that's a new thing, that in the ancient world, uh, it really was hmm. those ancient people with pocket protectors. I don't know what an ancient pocket protector would look <laughs> like, but, but those were the astrologers. Right, a stone tablet protector, I suppose. So, um, uh, Alex, if I can call you Alex, unless you prefer Dr. Boxer. But, um, Alex, you know, is there anything to astrology? My brother-in-law is a very smart guy, very bright guy, master's degree, very scientifically oriented. Yet he is obsessed with astrology. He believes that so much of people's fate is uh, dictated by their astrological charts, their birth charts. And he's engaged to be married, and he might not admit this, but he might. I believe that a key part of the reason he chose to get engaged to the person he's marrying is because he thinks their birth charts line up well. From what you can tell with a scientist's eye, do the people that put a lot of stock in astrology have a point? Is there anything to it? The simplest answer I could give is um, uh, I do not think so. Uh, and in, in, in the book, we have a fun time trying to look at some basic astrological questions with modern data. And I personally don't think there's anything to recommend it uh, in, in that regard. However, I think there's so many, so much fascinating uh, questions that you can ask and answer as why do people think that way and why do we always see these patterns and why is it that when you maybe make a chart or a figure, the curvy lines with graphs going up and down, people just see so many interesting patterns, so many interesting connections. And I think that you can do that with planet data, but people do it all the time with economic data. They do it all the time with weather data. We just are pattern matching creatures. And astrology is, I think, one of the, the most obvious ways in which we get to see. Sometimes we, we, we see patterns when there aren't patterns to be seen. But uh, I, I love people who love astrology. I think it's a great way to think about the universe. From a scientific point of view, unfortunately, nothing there. When you say astrologers were the original data scientists, what does that mean exactly? I'm not exactly clear. And maybe it's because I haven't read your book yet, which I plan to. But what does that mean? So what it means is that um, this notion that you can describe the world with mathematical models, a notion that we totally take for granted in, in modern science, was actually much more controversial in the ancient world. And the biggest source of numerical data was astronomical data. The people who were doing this mathematical modeling were astrologers, and, and they were the only ones who had books and books of, of numerical data. They were constantly looking for patterns, and they believed they could describe almost anything with it, from you know, whether your, uh, your brother-in-law should get married or uh, you know, the rise and fall of, of politics, weather, money, economics. They were the ones 
who had the, the numbers and the charts, and they were the ones trying to find these patterns. And maybe today we would say they were barking up the wrong tree or, or, or looking at the wrong star. But this notion that the universe can be meaningfully described with mathematical models is something that, in a weird way, the astrologers are pioneers for. And we are living in, in, in some ways the shadow of that success. They were kind of kind of working in the trenches and, you know, uh, the ones really, really pushing the math forward and the astronomy forward. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Dr. Alex Boxer. You can learn more about him, who, um, you know, has been very well quoted everywhere, done a lot of writing. Learn more about him at his website, alexboxer.com. There is uh, even an interactive astrolabe on the on that website. Alex, what is the interactive astrolabe? What, what can I use that for? <laughs> The, that interactive astrolabe is a model of the heavens, and it was a it was an instrument. They used to make them out of brass, sometimes wood, sometimes paper, but but the most beautiful ones you'll find in brass. And you could use it to model the rotations of the heavens, when stars would rise, when planets would rise, when sunrise and sunset would be at your specific spot on Earth. It's an incredibly sophisticated mathematical and astronomical computer. It dates back a couple thousand years. And it was largely my interest in the astrolabe that got me interested in this history of astrology. Hmm. Because at some point you realize that the killer app of the astrolabe is astrology. It tells you the rising times of different stars and planets. That's so critical for, for what astrologers were doing. And you just, you know, by looking into this instrument, this beautiful instrument, you can see them in museums. I guarantee you uh, someplace in New York has one. But uh, you just see the sophistication, the beauty, and, and the complexity of what people are doing. And why are they doing it? They're doing it because they're interested in astrology. Interesting. Uh, all right. Today's February 29th. Answer the million-dollar question, or at least the uh, quadrennial question for us, Alex. Why do we have a February 29th every four years? What's the point? What's the purpose? What are we doing? Pretty simply, the length of the year, as you could measure by the Earth's orbit around the sun, does not fit into a clean number of days. We don't have 365 days uh, in the Earth's orbit. It's a little bit longer. It's maybe 365 days and, and about a quarter. So that's why we have to add on another year every four years. You said every four years is not quite every four years, uh, which is a fun story that we can talk about. But well, yeah, tell us about that. What, what do you mean it's not every four years? <laughs> well, first, first let's uh, let me let me clarify what I mean by sure. say okay. how to even measure a year. So you, I don't know if uh, if, if Staten Island is the best place to do this, but. In principle, you could go out into your backyard and you can measure a year astronomically. You could face directly south and you could measure the height of the sun every day when the sun passes due south. You could, you could use a sextant. You could use a protractor. You could measure that every day. And the amount of time it would take for the sun to come from one height to the next, you could see it go higher in the summer, lower in the winter. It would take not quite 365 days. It would take a little bit more. And um, this was known in ancient times. They could measure the length of, this is called the tropical year. They could measure it very well. And 
there were numerous calendars in the ancient world. They're all fascinating. But one of the ones that uh, was used by astronomers, ancient astronomers, was the Egyptian calendar. People liked the Egyptian calendar because it had 365 days, and that was it. You didn't have to think about whether there was a leap year or not. It was easy to compute the time between a, a current event and an ancient event if you, knew the, if you knew the calendar date. You didn't have to scratch your head and ask about leap years. The problem with having a calendar that's only 365 days is that your holidays start to wander. If you think that it, we're off by about one day every four years, then if you lived to, let's say, 80 years old, a holiday that you remember had, would already have shifted 20 days in the calendar. So very quickly, winter holidays will become fall holidays, spring holidays, and spring holidays will become winter holidays, et cetera. So you, you are, for us, holidays like Christmas in the winter, Thanksgiving in the fall, they would be wandering throughout the year. And if we didn't have a leap year, if we didn't have a leap day, you would start to notice that even within one person's lifetime. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. Hmm. So if we didn't have a leap year, um, let's say we, as a planet, decided to do away with this next year, what would the year look like differently exactly? You know, five years, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, what would be, you say we would notice it within one person's lifetime. What would we notice exactly? Uh, wait, you know, in about, in about 80 years, uh, you'd see Christmas. Uh, start to fall, um, you know, at, at, let's see. So, yeah, it would, it would start to fall later and later during the year. So it would start moving into, uh, in, in, in deeper into winter, but maybe by your grandchildren's life, it would definitely be spring when they were celebrating Christmas. So I, I understand, I guess that's important for um, industries that are weather dependent. I'm thinking of farming and I'm sure there are a bunch of others. But is that that big of a deal that D December might be cold at one time and then 25 years it would be um, it would be a bit warmer? I mean, why is that such a big deal? Well, so I think this gets back to a question of what's important in a calendar. because mm -hmm. You realize there are lots of different calendars out there. Uh, you know, we can talk about ancient calendars, but even today, you don't have to look very far. There's the Jewish calendar, the Islamic calendar, all which follow slightly different rules, slightly different cycles, or in some cases, radically different rules and cycles. Uh, but each one is, is serving a purpose. And so you ask yourself, well, what's the purpose uh, of, of our calendar? And, you know, it's trying to be, trying to strike a balance 
between um, being regular and easy to follow, which maybe you could argue that doesn't do such a great job, and also try to stay true to the solar year. And I think what's interesting about the calendar that we have is that, you know, it's, it's rare in the history of science that you can credit a major idea with one person. But with this one, it's easy. All of this is due to Julius Caesar. Hmm. The calendar as we know it is, is something that Julius Caesar made, and he made it to try to bring the, the Roman calendar in line with the sun. Hmm. And we are still living with this. Whether it's, uh, whether it's the best calendar, whether we could have a different calendar is, um, to me, sort of a strange question because you pretty much need to be someone like Julius Caesar. You need to be dictator for life to change a calendar. There's just something so profoundly uh, culturally significant about a calendar that you know, why it, it's difficult to change. Uh, okay, well, fair enough. Now, uh, just elaborate on what you alluded to a couple of minutes ago where you said it's not quite every four years. What do you mean by that? Sure. So, again, if you were to imagine measuring the length of the year, sitting out in your backyard and doing this measurement yourself, you would come to the, to the, to the answer that the average length of the year is about 365 days, five hours and 49 minutes, thereabouts. So not quite 365 days and a quarter. That'd be six hours. And again, it's not super hard to measure it. Ancient astronomers measured it very well. They knew all this. But for the sake of simplicity, 365 and a quarter seemed good enough to Julius Caesar. So uh, they went with that, a leap year every four years, simple to remember, had one day. Um, but that means that now the average year is about 11 minutes too long. And, of course, uh, Julius Caesar said, well, I don't need to worry about this. This won't be a problem for another thousand years or so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was such an influential guy that that calendar, the calendar that basically we still have, lasted that long. And it got to the 1500s, and they said things are getting extremely out of whack now. Uh, in particular, Easter was the holiday that uh, was causing the most headache because they, you know, it's, it's a spring holiday. They wanted it to be around March 21st, but it was, falling, it was falling earlier and earlier in the year. And so at some point in the 1500s, the Pope at the time, Pope Gregory XIII, decided that they needed to, uh, shorten, they, they needed to shorten the, the length of the average year. Again, it was 11 minutes too long on average. So uh, instead of having one leap year every four years, or another way to think of it, instead of having 100 leap years, Every 400 years, they removed three. So now the calendar that we currently have has 97 leap years every 400 years, which means that the average length of the year is only about 30 seconds off from what you would measure if you were to actually sit in your backyard and measure it. Does it, and now I am clear on why we add this year almost once every four years. Does it have to be every four years? Could the same goal be accomplished by having leap year once every three years, once every five years, once every six years? Absolutely. You know, you could divide, you could devise your own system however you want. Uh, there are many people who have calendars that, that, you know, propose different rules, different ways of doing this. Uh, and, and again, you have to ask yourself why. Uh, we have a system that works pretty well. You can't get there. There is no magic calendar 
that can get everything that you want with the calendar. Uh, so we you strike a balance between some regularity and some mm. harmony with the cosmos. And one thing I like about the calendar and one thing I like about February 29th is I think it's a great reminder, one, that there is this incredible story, that the calendar that we have is you know, the product of many civilizations, each contributing to this project over thousands of years. And it's an incredible reminder that as much as we might hope or as much as we might try, the, the, the universe just doesn't fit into the neat, pretty systems that we may want it to. The, the year as we travel around the sun is simply not an even number of days. It's not even an even number of weeks. There's just, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. That is the universe. And it's nice to be reminded that, uh, hey, the universe is a little bit messy and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we're talking with Alexander Boxer. You can check out his website, alexboxer.com, or uh, check out his book, A Scheme of Heaven. So, Alex, how far back does Leap Day, February 29th, go? You alluded to Julius Caesar. Does it go back hundreds of years, thousands of years? When was the first time we had this extra day every four years? Yeah, so again, Julius Caesar, he's the guy, uh, 45 B.C. You could, wow. you could say this is when it starts. What's interesting, though, is that it didn't used to be February 29th. It used to be we had two February 24th. So uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase. You see it in uh, some of the Romance languages. But a leap year is sometimes called a bisextile year. Hmm. And uh, for those of your listeners who love Latin, that's because the Romans had a very funny way of computing dates. They would always measure, they would always count down to the next event. So at the end of the month, you were counting down to the first day of the next month. So the Roman uh, way of saying February 24th would be anti-diem sextum of the calends of March. And so they would repeat this day twice on a leap year. So it became the anti-diem bisextum or the bisextile day. And the leap year was a bisextile year. And uh, there's a, you know, why, again, another question would be why February? Right. And again, you say, uh, hey, well, it's Julius Caesar. He's the one who chose it. And for the Romans, February was sort of an unlucky month. So if you were going to do something that to the Romans would seem very unlucky, namely fiddle around with the calendar, you did it in the month that was already unlucky. The Romans had a very uh, odd or or perhaps very even uh, superstition of even numbers. They thought even numbers were very, very, very unlucky. And February was the only month that had an even number of days. And they had to have an even number of days if they wanted an odd number of days in their year, which they did. Uh, so February, they kind of they just shoved this, this day into the, the one part in February where they had nothing else going on. We're also coming up on the... Uh, springing ahead, which I hate because I hate losing that hour of sleep or accomplishing things when it comes to uh, daylight saving time. Without even knowing, I am certain that you have an opinion on the continued debate over daylight saving time. There's a lot of folks that want to do away with it. There's a lot of folks that want to make it permanent. A lot of folks want to change the process of daylight saving time somehow. Where do you come down on daylight saving time, Alex? <laughs> yeah, you're correct. I have a very strong opinion. I hate it. Um, so, you know, here, in, uh, here I am defending February 29th. I like leap years. I like leap days because it keeps our calendar 
closer to with a natural cycle, right? We are, we are trying to make sure our calendar year closely harmonizes with the actual true solar system that we live in. So with leap day, or sorry, with uh, daylight saving, it's just the opposite. We're, I like to call it daylight lying time. We're just lying about what time of day it is. <laughs> uh, you know, if I look outside and I see the sun due south, it should be approximately noon, you know, telling me that it's 11 just drives me nuts. I, I think there's, I, maybe, maybe I'll use your radio show to say, I think there's a simple solution here. I feel like government offices and businesses, retail stores that wish should just keep summer hours and just say, you know what? Boom. Instead of being open from nine to five, we are currently open from eight to four. Beautiful. And then, you know, people, people just know that, but the rest of us don't have to say, Hey, by the way, it's, it's noon when it's clearly not. I, I, I that makes uh, perfect sense to me, Alex. Lastly, a fellow called me yesterday and said something about how the eclipse was an indication that um, the stuff was about to hit the fan and Pope Francis might be our last pope because of it. What are you hearing about this eclipse and what it might portend for the end of civilization, if anything? <laughs> uh, well, you should definitely see the eclipse. It's going to be the last total solar eclipse in the United States until, I believe, 2045. So. Uh, it's the, one of the most incredible experiences anybody can ever witness. Whatever you can, take that day off. I've had this day marked in my calendar for years. Uh, take that Monday off. Go someplace in the path of the eclipse and, and go see it. Uh, I, the, the, world, the world as we know it is not going to Well, the world as we know it ends every moment. But yes, the world is not going to end. But by all means, see the eclipse. It'll change your perspective of lots of things. Alex, I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope we can do this again. Yeah, anytime. Enjoy leap year or leap day and leap year. Um, if you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call, 800-848-9222. I'm a little more informed about it now. I hope you are, too. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.